Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8th, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the first episode of She-Hulk Attorney at Law and a little bit of Thor Love and Thunder. So definitely, if you have not watched the first episode of She-Hulk Attorney at Law, go watch that right now. You have been warned. Welcome. My name is Jason Concepcion. Welcome to X-Ray Vision, the crooked podcast where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In today's episode, in the previously on, the latest from the WB Discovery Saga, the latest news on Ezra Miller. We're going to talk some uh, Axe Comics crossover event news, uh, some X-Men, and the triumphant return of the Ask the Maester segment Actually, it's first appearance here on X-Ray Vision. In the airlock, we'll be talking about She-Hulk episode one, a fantastic and fun 30 minutes of, of Disney Plus television. And of course, to talk about all of that with me today is the number one She-Hulk herself, the number one comics expert. She's hulking out, but only when she wants to hulk out, she is Rosie Knight. Hello, yes. Yeah. The power of control. <laughs> Self-control. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Rosie. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm glad. I'm glad that we've seen She-Hulk. I feel like we've been talking about it for so long and it was just so great. So I'm I'm just stoked to talk about it. How has the reception uh, on Godzilla been? Uh, it's actually been just really amazing. Uh, I feel very lucky. We got so much great support from people who listen to the show and from the X-Ray Vision community. Um, loads of really lovely reviews I have been told about. I got some really cool feedback, I think, from people that I really care about and respect and from my friends like you and, and just, just loads of good stuff. So I feel very lucky and I'm very excited to hopefully try and do more stuff with Oliver soon. So uh, I'm feeling good a, about it. What a talented uh, human being. Action-packed episodes let's jump in more warner brothers discovery news folks first of all the cw uh uh has been sold next star media group the largest television station owner in the u.s is set to acquire a 75 percent stake in that television network of impossibly beautiful actors Mm -hmm. taking part in uh, various stories, many of them DC adaptations. The CW has been co-owned by Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount since 2006, uh, when the WB and UPN merged into one channel. Uh, each original partner will retain a 12.5 ownership stake and will continue to produce content for the network. Uh, the CW, famously not profitable, despite the many, many fans that it has. Uh, your thoughts on this, Rosie? I find this to be a very interesting choice. Uh, we've talked quite extensively about this deal. And one of the big things that we 
we've taken away, especially from the investor call and just general reporting, Zaslav, uh, the new head of and kind of predominant owner of WB with WB Discovery, he loves linear TV, aka broadcast TV, channel TV, channel TV that you don't stream or select. So this to me just seems absolutely mind blowing. I love the CW. I I feel like even the stuff that I don't necessarily love, like I'm not the world's biggest Arrowverse fan, but I will proudly say, and you can quote me on this, like there is no DCEU in the way it is today oh, without that. Nobody absolutely. knows who The Flash is if absolutely. you don't have that show. Nobody knows what the multiverse is if you don't have legions of families and mums and dads and grandparents watching these crossovers where they introduce these ideas like Crisis on Infinite Earth. I think this is, in my opinion, a missed opportunity. If it was up to me, you know, we talk about this a lot, like let us do it. But if it was up to me, I would have taken ownership of the CW. Mm. The reason the CW has never been profitable as a channel, though the shows on it were incredibly profitable with a second window deal they had with Netflix. For example, CW doesn't exist in other countries. Riverdale, uh, all the Arrowverse shows, those are Netflix shows in other countries. And they made a lot of money doing that. The CW has an app called CW Seed and every single show on both on the channel goes to either CW Seed or the CW main app 24 hours afterwards. If you take that away, people will just watch it on the channel, right? right. Like to me, in my opinion, I would have made a DC TV show or basically just rerunning Batman the Animated Series. Also, you know, Wonder Woman potentially trying to get the Batman 66 for that space, the old Shazam show. There's so much syndicate stuff that they could syndicate before you even get to the Arrowverse and all that other stuff. I think this will in the future be seen as a mistake, but I also, I watch a lot of the Next Star channels now. They they do a lot of syndicated sitcom channels and movie channels. So like, I like broadcast TV. I'm sure it'll be interesting, but it's a missed opportunity. There is no comic book TV network right now in an age where that is so profitable. I spent a lot of time on the island of Leon Yu with Oliver, um, although I, I did check out in later seasons. But you have to say, I mean, you're absolutely right about yeah. one, no DCEU without Arrow. Also, I mean, the only successful adaptation of Crisis on Infinite Earths for yep. the screen happened in The Flash Mm -hmm. uh, in 2019 and it might be the only one we see for a while literally and not just that like the it's it's hard to explain if you haven't watched these shows because it feels very overwhelming right but like legends of tomorrow is one of the queerest most inclusive experimental weird tv shows on tv full stop it without that we don't get a lot of other things like doom patrol like there's these there's these different spaces that they've been able to navigate and explore through the lens of, oh, it's a superhero show. And Legends of Tomorrow is that. Also, I just have to say, I, in 10 years, people will look back at Riverdale, which is an Archie comic show, but was made by Warner Brothers and did run on the CW. Well, truly one of the most unhinged television they will say, that has like, ever happened. We just, let's just like, for a moment, let's just like drill down on how insane. I don't watch it, but I have people that watch it who have, who keep me abreast of just how off the rails nuts that show has become. <laughs> it's so experimental. It's so weird. It's incredibly queer. It's totally outrageous. I mean, just the first, the logline for the first season was obviously like Archie meets Twin Peaks, right? right? So Sexy you already Archie. start there. First 
first season is like a murder mystery, quite standard. By the second season, you're on your like third serial killer. By the third season, it's a Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons game that's taken over the town, made everyone addicted to like a, a Kool-Aid drug. And also they have a drug called Jingle Jangle that is like a legit problem in Riverdale. There's also a part where uh, Hiram Lodge, who's Veronica's dad, is trying to sell the town to turn it into like a supermax prison. Then that stuff is all very minor when you get to the stuff nowadays where you're talking about alternate universes that have to be saved and ended by certain people having sex together, bombs, Archie being uh, a criminal. Oh, also, okay, so, so, and that's before we even get to the fact that that's all ended, spoiler alert, by like Jughead having to write the comics, the Archie comics. That's how like he stops the time loop. It's unbelievable stuff. And it also is like, it's hard to put into words how brilliantly weird the show is and how Roberto Aguasacasa, who's just totally brilliant comics creator and, and was CCO of Archie and, uh, and is now, you know, was running, show running Riverdale, which was his project. He plays it so sincere. Like, there's a really famous moment where Archie goes to prison, like, like a youth jail, but it kind of looks more like an old-fashioned jail because time is very mixed up there. But, and, and he's talking to the kids in the prison yard and he's like, you didn't go to high school, you know, because you were like a drug mule or whatever bad stuff happened to you. And he's like, and that means that you never experienced, you know, the unbelievable highs and devastating lows of high school football. Like, the, <laughs> it's so well played. There's also an episode where Archie fights with a bear. So it's just, it's unbelievable. And I feel like that is going to be missing. That show has like 24 episodes a season. It's a full season show. Like, those kind of things get lost in the streaming world and the, that I, I, I'm I'm sad about it. I think it will be fine, but I think this was a missed opportunity. Mm. And also, I think it shows once again that what's going on at Warner Brothers now, there is at least some kind of misunderstanding of how the DC brand has stayed relevant because a big part right. of it is, is television. these CW yep. shows. The latest in Ezra Miller. Uh, notably last week, The Hollywood Reporter publish a story talking about the three strategies that Warner Brothers had on deck to deal with the ongoing and continuing uh, the Ezra Miller incidents. Um, and one of them was uh, Ezra goes into counseling uh, and this provides a pathway for WB to WB discovery to save the flash movie. And just a few days ago, uh, uh, Ezra released a statement saying essentially that they've gone into counseling. Uh, it reads in part, <clears throat> quote, having recently gone through a time of intense crisis, I now understand that I'm suffering complex mental health issues and I've begun ongoing treatment. I want to apologize to everyone that I have alarmed and upset with my past behavior. I am committed to doing the necessary work to getting back to a healthy, safe and productive stage in my life. So it looks like we're going with that strategy. Now, I, I have been I, it's. I was thinking about, man, you know, like I know $250 million is a lot of money, like a, 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 an amount of money that it's you can't even you can't actually really fathom. It. You yeah. can't comprehend how, how much money that is. But it still feels like, man, why try and save this? And, you know, I was the more I was reading about the Flash and its position mm -hmm. in the DCEU, it's it's the connector movie. It's like yeah. an Avengers movie. It's the movie that was going to bring in 
all the various Batman and Batman characters. It was going to be the movie that the rest of the ongoing DCEU film offerings were going to be in part based upon. And it would have been like having to recast like Captain America Civil War without Chris Evans and figure out like, how do you do it without Chris Evans? So this, I think let's, I'm not excusing it, but I, but this is why I think they are going so to the mat to try and save this movie that by any kind of like reasonable standard, uh, because you know, the allegations against Ezra are incredibly serious, like incredibly serious and not at all resolved. So it would seem to be like the, 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 you know, the responsible thing would be just, okay, let's scrap this movie. The reason, in my opinion, that they can't is because it is, you know, we often refer to movies as tentpoles. It's like the tentpole holding up the entire tent of DC movies. And if you pull that one out, now all of a sudden you have to do a bunch of surgery on those movies. And now you're talking about billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. That's my theory. No, But I, all of which is to say... Man, I this is still troubling, still extremely yeah. troubling. What do you no, think of my theory? I think your theory is right. From everything that I understand about this movie, that I've heard about it, that's heard been rumored about it, that has been reported about it, this is this was supposed to be that movie. I think the reason I think that is the reason that they are working so hard to save it. I also don't understand that from the place where we are now, which from what I understand of what Zaslev has said is like, they want to start something new, like a 10 year plan with the MCU. This is the opposite of that. The MCU did not begin with a giant team up movie that included 50 different versions. Now, what I wonder is building off your theory. I wonder if this was going to connect everything together and essentially end it. I wonder if that's what their vision is. Or a pre-crisis. Pre-crisis or something. And then you you, everything after this is separate. You know, I wonder if that's also it. The strange thing is as well, from reports, Batgirl was supposed to be in this movie as part of a new Justice League. What happens now? That movie's not happening. There's so many questionable things, but you're definitely right. I I have heard many things about the different eras of DC that will be brought into this movie and the way they're going to use different characters. So that would make a lot of sense. But also, like you said, my biggest takeaway from this is just like, it is unresolved. We do not, this, this, This statement, my feelings on this statement are I hope that it is true because I want Ezra to get help, but I also want to know where is Dakota Ionize, the child that they were taking around with them while all of this was going on? You know, where are the family that was living at Ezra's house uh, in Vermont and who hasn't been heard on social media or kind of been heard from since July? I, I very much hope that Ezra is getting help, but I also hope the people that their behavior and their crisis has impacted are getting help. And this, to me, it reads a little bit more like a that studio plan that Hollywood Reporter laid out. Because the idea was the 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 idea is Ezra makes a statement, Ezra gets counseling, and then you can use Ezra in limited press for the movie. I don't, I just don't Which, think it's possible. I, That's I, just I, still I, not possible. And it, is this movie really going to come out in June 2023? This movie is almost like, to me, this is like the new New Mutants. I will not believe this movie comes out I mean, until the day we see it come out. Till the day it, it hits theaters, I will be questioning. And New Mutants, by the way, just a normal bad movie. 
That's yeah. all. Just like a normal bad, bad held up movie. by weird studio, weird, yeah, weird studio stuff. Like that's all. Just like a normal bad movie. Uh, let's talk comics for a second, Rosie. I have been uh, letting my stack grow and 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 grow. And grow, and grow, and grow except for problem. Except, of course, for uh, for Godzilla vs. Batra. Well, I, thank you. I carved out time, of course, to to peruse that piece of genius. But I have been diving back into uh, into my stack and uh, most notably my my ex family. And I just wanted to shout out because the current. Um, Axe Day of Judgment crossover series, crossover event is happening now. I haven't got to that yet, but I wanted to kind of like, uh, you know, uh, pave, get on the road that paves the way towards that crossover. So I've been reading Immortal X-Men, which is kind of like yes. the fallout from a bunch of Krakoa stuff when um, it seemed like the, uh, the the very tightly held secret mutant intel that mutants are now immortal, able to be reborn again and again and again on the island of Kokoa, which is a state secret. No one knows that on Earth. That almost got out because of uh, the uh, the endeavors of one intrepid reporter who then had his mind wiped, but that information <laughs> is still out there, and uh, this leads into Immortal X-Men, which has been running now for five issues, so I started reading Immortal X-Men, and I just want to say, Immortal X-Men is fucking great. It's so it's good. It's so it's good. I I actually got to like, I got sometimes at Polygon, they run, I mean, they run this every month at Polygon, but sometimes I get to write them where you write about like a first issue. And I got to write about issue one of Immortal X-Men and it was just so good. It's like, if you're an X fan, one of the things in the X-Men community people had wanted for a long time was this, a book about the Quiet Council, which is the council that runs Krakoa, the secret mutant community. And, and this book, begins with that concept but the question of who is on the council yeah what is the council's role the the many machinations of the different people who want to be on the council it's very cool stuff and there's i mean this may this whole book just makes me so happy because i love destiny and i love destiny and uh and mystique and this is a big even from the stuff that led into this this is a big destiny and mystique kind of arc and then yeah this leads into the current big crossover uh axe which is going to be a really big deal because it's avengers x-men eternals so you can kind of grasp from that the groups that may be important coming into the mcu and into the kind of new phase of marvel here's what i'm loving about immortal um and the kind of fallout from krakoa that's led into immortal and x-men red and stuff is that you know for Previous to the uh, Krakoa events, the X-Men mm -hmm. for like 20 years, there's been some great runs, yeah. but like since the 2000s, as, and this is nothing new, the X-Men have kind of been on their ass. They were almost white. All the mutants were almost wiped out. And then they had to run this like shadow war against various mm -hmm. extremist groups. And then they had to bring mutants back. And that was a whole thing. And the great thing about where the X-Men and the mutant community is now is, first of all, they have assumed their rightful place in the Marvel Comics universe, which is just a power center, mm -hmm. a powerful nation of super beings. And two, what's really cool is, and this is something we've never quite seen before, it's that classic problem of now the enemy is us. Now it's they're so powerful. You yeah. have all these different groups vying for control 
moving, making secret moves. You have various secrets that are hidden from even the top, uh, you know, leadership of the mutant community. Uh, and it's just really great stuff. It's really, really great stuff. Yeah, it's so much fun. And I think something that they do that I know you would have loved, but like something that kind of blew me away about the first issue, and they play with this a lot as they go in. But one of the comics that we were just absolutely loving was Hellions, which mm. centered, had a really big, like funny Mr. Sinister kind of storyline in it. And in Immortal X-Men, we get to get that funny, sassy Mr. Sinister. So they're kind of building in all these different bits of character that we've I gotten from that. these different Krakoa books to make this the ultimate current X-Men book. And for such a big, sprawling line, it can be hard to know what to read. But I feel like Immortal X-Men is, especially from number one, is like a is quite a good jumping on point because you get introduced to everyone and you kind of start to see the pieces come together. So it's just such a joy to read. It's so much fun. I'm excited to keep going. Um, up next, the triumphant return of Ask the Maester. Dragons are coming to HBO Max. The new HBO original series, House of the Dragon, is a prequel set 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones. It tells the story of House Targaryen locked in an epic battle for the Iron Throne and power over the Seven Kingdoms. The epic series promises more drama and betrayal than ever. That's a tall order, but they're going to do it. Listen to the official Game of Thrones podcast, House of the Dragon, on HBO Max, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts, hosted by myself and WBZ's Greta Johnson. And to celebrate, we're back. We've emerged from the Citadel to answer your questions. Uh, Producer Chris, bring us the scroll of questions. All right. Dear Maester, from my understanding, the dragons in the book were much larger than the ones in the HBO Game of Thrones series. I've heard conjecture rounding up the difference to production concerns and the fact that Daenerys' dragons were still juvenile and thus not full grown. Will the dragons in this new series be larger? Sincerely, Jerry. Jerry, they're going to be larger. I, it, Daenerys' dragons, while, you know, pretty huge, they were like, you know, pre-teens, I guess, in, in dragon lore. Dragons just keep on growing and growing. There are 17 dragons confirmed in the show, and at least one of them, Vagar, uh, is uh, immensely large and very, very old. Vagar was formerly the mount of Queen Visenya, who was one of uh, King Aegon the Conqueror's two queens who were both also his sisters. You know how they roll in a different way, those Targaryens. Uh, there's also Caraxes, uh, the mount of uh, Daemon Targaryen, also called the Bloodworm because it's uh, very, very red and lean. Uh, this was formerly the dragon of Aemon Targaryen, third son of old King Jaehaerys, who was going to be the heir to the throne. And then various things happened because old King Jaehaerys sadly went like oh for 13 on children <laughs> on children uh, uh ascending to the iron throne very tough stuff for him uh by the time of the show uh, Damon Targaryen who is the brother of King Viserys has claimed Caraxes uh Melis or Melis once belonged to Elicit Targaryen one of Jaehaerys's daughters uh Melis has uh, is currently in the uh in the employ of Princess Rhaenys Targaryen, a.k.a. the queen who never was. I would assume there are going to be lots, 
of course, there are going to be lots more, including some wild dragons who, you know, live along uh, the coastal regions, maybe along Dragonstone there. Uh, there's going to be a lot of dragons. It'll be fun. Next question. All right. Maester J, which Valerian steel swords might be featured on the show? Also, I saw a dagger in the trailer. Are we to believe that is the cat's paw dagger? Thank you from Daniel. That is the cat's paw dagger. That is the uh, the weapon most famously uh, used in the attempt on Bran Stark's life in season one of Game of Thrones. Uh, we know that uh, two Valerian steel swords uh, from House Targaryen's uh, weapon room are in use at this time. Blackfire, the sword of Targaryen king since the time of Aegon, you can actually see in, in the trailer, is in the possession of uh, King Viserys. Uh, Dark Sister, once the personal weapon of Aegon's sister Visenya, uh, one of the legendary Targaryen troublemaking ladies, uh, is currently in the possession of Daemon Targaryen, again, the, the, the brother of King Viserys, who is also himself a troublemaker. Fun facts about those two swords. Uh, Blackfire gave its name to the series of civil wars known as the Blackfire Rebellion because King Aegon IV, who was the worst of the Targaryen kings, at least the biggest dummy of the Targaryen kings, and certainly a guy who liked to party more than do responsible shit running the realm. He gave the sword to his bastard son, Daemon. He also had a lot of bastard kids that he then legitimized, causing this huge, you know, uh, 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 friction in within the uh, within the realm of multiple like groups now vying for power. And because he had given his bastard son the sword of kings, a lot of people were like, oh, I guess that sh- that guy should be king. Uh, Damon ended up dying in 196 at the epic battle of Redgrass Field, uh, which basically ended the first Blackfire Rebellion. His brother, Agor Bittersteel Rivers, another bastard, took the sword, fled to Essos, and founded the Golden Company, a famed mercenary company, which you will recall from later seasons of of Game of Thrones. Uh, The sword was last known to be in his possession, uh, so maybe still in Essos somewhere. Uh, Dark Sister was last in the possession of Brynden Rivers, another Targaryen bastard, another uh, bastard of uh, Aegon IV, this one who stayed loyal to the crown. Now, Brynden, former hand to the king, took the black and went with our good friend Aemon Targaryen, a.k.a. Ma- Maester Aemon, uh, to the wall. And you might know Brynden Rivers better as the Three-Eyed Crow, a.k.a. Bloodraven, a.k.a. the guy that Bran Stark met under the tree and talked to. Question, did Brynden take the sword with him to the wall? We don't know. No one knows where it is, but there's a chance. Other Valerian steel weapons that uh, maybe we'll see, uh, Lady Forlorn, which is the sword of House Corbray uh, from the fingers along the coast of the Vale. They call them the fingers because little peninsulas peninsulas that look like fingers. Fun fact, uh, during the Battle of the Redgrass Field, Gawain Corbray fought a famous duel against Damon Blackfire. Uh, So it was Valerian sword against Valerian sword. Um, House Harlaw of the Iron Islands has Nightfall, uh, I think it's an off chance that we see that one. And then, of course, House Stark has Ice, the great sword of of Lord Stark's from time immemorial. Uh, and that is a couple of centuries away from being melted down in the events of Game of Thrones. Next up. Hi, Jason. Very excited to hear you talk about Westeros and maybe get to hear some updates and some hot takes from Hisdar from Marine. 
My question, do you think at any point we actually get to see Aegon's conquest in a flashback, or do you think they want to do it as its own show or season from Brandon? Thank you, Brandon. Brandon, Brandon the Builder. Uh, my guess is no. I Over the course of the series, does it happen to be at a flashback? Maybe. I guess there's a chance. But to this point in the books, Aegon has been kind of a blank slate. We don't really know what drives him. We know we're at the more about the personalities of his sisters, Visenya and Rhaenys, than we do about Aegon the Conqueror. And I think that feels very purposeful. And it feels like that mystery is not going to be revealed until, you know, later things in the books. That's just a guess. Okay. And next, seems like just yesterday I was reading Ask the Maester Calms every Wednesday after the episode of Game of Thrones. My question, after your tour of Westeros's pod, I started thinking about Essos and other locations around the world. What new or old locations across the narrow sea are you most excited to see in the new show? Thanks from Max. The, across the narrow sea, you know, I think my sense is we're not going to see too much across the narrow sea, but I will tell you what old location I'm excited could be on the table for us in House of the Dragon, and that is uh, the Castle of Storm's End. Uh, folks who listen to Binge Mode will know that I'm a big fan of castles, and I am a big hater of weak castles. I hate a weak castle. There's nothing worse than a fucking weak castle. Castles made of wood. Like, why are we doing this in this day and age? Anyway, here's a here's a strong castle, Storm's End, uh, the seat of the. Uh, of House Baratheon and before them in the pre-conquest years, the Durand and Storm Kings. It's maybe the strongest castle in Westeros. People talk about the Eyrie and the Vale as being impregnable. I'll impregnate the bitch, Bronn famously said. But that's primarily because it's just high, 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 high up in the mountains of the moon and nobody wants to fucking go up there. Plus the Eyrie is really, really small and it's only inhabited during the summer because, you know, it's up there in the mountains in the wintertime. It just gets too cold. Storm's End is huge. It's right there in the mix on the continent itself, like on the coast uh, where, you know, Dornish raiders are always coming and other invaders are always coming uh, from the sea. Over the years, lots of folks have made war in the Stormlands, but usually people just avoid laying siege to Storm's End because it is such a major fucking pain in the ass. Uh, it has this it's dominated by this huge drum tower that rises from the center of the castle, uh, which it must be extremely striking. We've never seen it uh, in Game of Thrones, and I would love to see that. During Robert's Rebellion, uh, Stannis Baratheon, uh, famed fun guy Stannis Baratheon, held the castle for a year against uh, the power of the Reach and others. Uh, with only like a skeleton crew of soldiers and no food, like they were eating fucking rats in there until Davos Seaworth smuggled in a bunch of supplies and shouts to him. Legend says that much like the wall in the north, that uh, the curtain wall of Storm's End was uh, built, woven with uh, spells and stuff that keep it protected. Uh, so we ne Again, we never got to see it in Game of Thrones. I'm hoping we get to see it here in House of the Dragon. Uh, fun fact, in the books, some news of from Storm's End in the books in Dance of the Dragons... Last we heard of Storm's End, a young, uh, a young man from Essos named Aegon Targaryen, who is either an actual Targaryen, right, or a pretender, faking it, Phaegon, as the as the fans call him, 
was uh, last known to be moving on Storm's End after taking uh, the castle of Griffin's Roost also on the Stormlands. So uh, did they take it? Was Were they successful? Find out when Winds of Winter drops, hopefully soon. Folks, this has been really fun. Stay tuned for uh, more Ask the Maester and don't miss the new HBO original series, House of the Dragon, premiering this Sunday, this Sunday, August 21st on HBO Max. Want to ask us questions? Send the questions to askthemacer at gmail.com. Up next, the airlock. <laughs> Folks, with less than 100 days until midterms, it's safe to say that midterm madness is setting in right now. You can find all new Vote Save America merch in the Crooked Store. A portion of every single order in the Crooked Store goes to Vote Riders, the leading organization focused on informing citizens of their state's voter ID requirements and helping them to secure the documents that they may need to vote. That's so important. So check out Crooked.com slash merch for the latest drop. Then head to VoteSaveAmerica.com to find out how you can get involved and do your part in the lead up to this year's midterms. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, Eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Folks, we're stepping out of the airlock and into the courthouse to discuss the latest MCU show, She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Rosie, this show is fun. It's so good. It's so fantastic and just like silly. And I, th- do you know what? They're on a streak of it feels really different to anything we've had in the MCU. This actually, again, does. This is like a relatable, funny comedy show that really leans into those legal roots. Those comparisons to Ali McBeal were not wrong. And if you don't know who Ali McBeal is, then Google it because we're old. But like, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 fun. It's so fun. Uh, directed by Kat Coiro, written by Jessica Gao. 
uh, here is our recap. We open in Los Angeles. We open on Jennifer Walters immediately breaking the fourth wall. She's staring at us. She's the cousin of famed gamma radiation expert and Avenger Bruce Banner. And she is practicing her closing argument for an upcoming case. The argument is about, stop me if you heard this before, Rosie. It's about the balance between power and responsibility. <laughs> Jen says, quote, those with the most power have the most to answer for. Uh, her colleague, uh, Nikki Ramos, a paralegal, is uh, her, her major supporter at work. Her fellow lawyer, Dennis, is like, nah, I'm a man, so you should let me close out the case. Shut up, Dennis. <laughs> I, uh, I just, I love, like, his name's Dennis Bukowski, and I feel like for any women who've watched, who are watching this, who've had to listen to men talk about how much they love Charles Bukowski. There's just, it's so good. <laughs> it's just, it works. And it's big shut up Dennis energy this episode. Big, big time shut up Dennis energy. Uh, Jen and Nikki head to the courtroom and Nikki quite, you know, in a, in a, in a quick private moment suggests, hey, listen, if we don't get our judgment, maybe you should just, you know, hulk out. And that's right, folks. This is how we learn that Jennifer Walters is a hulk and the fourth wall shatters and Jen tells us how she became a Hulk. And here is where uh, we should pause for a moment, Rosie, and play that play that uh, X-ray vision was right sound again because dun, we were dun, right. Dun, 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 we, we were right, right once again. We were right once again. Some months previous, Jen was taking a wonderful road trip with her cousin Bruce. Uh, and here is where we were right. Bruce's endgame arm injury, which he suffered... Uh, of course, while snapping his fingers with the nano infinity glove on his on his hand, has almost fully healed. And he's created a device which he now wears on his wrist, an inhibitor, which keeps him from transforming into the Hulk and wrecking shit. Conversation then turns to whether Steve Rogers ever got it in. Did he ever get it in, folks? What do we think? Wasn't he too busy to fuck? Wasn't there too much going on? He was going from crisis to crisis to crisis. Uh, Rosie, before we reveal what the episode actually reveals, before this, what were what was your opinion on whether Steve Rogers' cherry was intact or popped? So, this <laughs> is your first hint to me of something that we will that you will see going through this season. This is a show that knows what the fans are in conversation Absolutely, about because this is know. a question. I personally am of the belief look i'm a i'm a stucky shipper i believe steve and bucky were in love i believe they I probably found the time hey. to share some it, romantic time i'm not one to comment on the nature of virginity a made up uh thing that somebody just said happens when you have sex but look i i was very impressed to see she hulk turn what we've seen in the MCU on its head, which is a lot of conversations about this stuff, about the nature of relationships, about people's sex lives, about their potential to have kids, to settle down. That has been focused on women and very specifically Black Widow. So yeah. it was kind of great to see them not only pull this fan conversation out there and yeah. show that She-Hulk is in a space where if these characters were real, people would still be shipping them, would I mean, still be having these conversations, would still be theorizing. What do you think? You think he's I mean, too busy to fuck? I, 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 well, listen, uh, I, I we went very deep on this uh, back uh, in my binge mode days with Mallory Rubin, and we both 
were of the opinion that absolutely Steve Rogers fuck. And here, here's my philosophy. Number one, I get it. Steve was very, very busy. Everybody was busy. It was a time of crisis. It was World War II. And then all of a sudden it was, you know, the, the invasion of New York. And then all of a sudden it was the Civil War. And then all of a sudden S.H.I.E.L.D. is hired. There's a lot of shit going on. Of course. Who has the time? Well, let me say this. We are here, the human race, for better or worse, because we found time to fuck in caves outside with lions running around. It, anywhere we could. That's why we're here. And I think Steve found the time and th- that's going to be confirmed later on our stringer. We'll talk about it uh, again when we get there. Back to our story. Uh, Bruce, of course, it doesn't want to necessarily talk about his, you know, conversation with Cap. That's protected Avengers stuff. You know, what, what's, what, what is said in the Avengers mansion doesn't <laughs> stays in the Avengers mansion. When suddenly... A Sakarian spaceship appears on the highway. What? Causing Jen to lose control of the car. The car crashes. Jen slashes her arm, escaping the wreck. And in the midst of pulling Bruce free of this wreck, some gamma irradiated blood gets into her wound. And you know what happens next. Rosie, what do we think this Sakarian spacecraft means? (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, this this is is a big deal. This is very cool. This is a big change from... Jen's comic book origin. Big, yeah, big. But but what it actually pays homage to, so in Jen's comic book origin, is literally like happens over a couple of pages. She's a lawyer. She gets shot by the mob. Bruce decides he's going to do a blood transfusion to save her life. Lo and behold, she becomes the Hulk. That wouldn't necessarily make sense for MCU's Bruce because why would he want her to go through this terrible thing that he's gone through? But yeah. what is very similar about this origin is they just get right to it. They're like five minutes in. You found out. This is happening. She's She-Hulk. So they kept that spirit alive. Now, why is there a Sakarian ship? It's very smart to use a Sakarian ship because this circular ship looks very similar to the one from Thor Ragnarok, which we saw Bruce, Thor, and Valkyrie escape from, which I believe was the Grandmaster's like sex ship. So, yeah. so immediately people are going to be like, oh, I think I recognize that. Legitimately, the Grandmaster sex ship, right? Like they have like, there's like confetti, yeah, like sexy music. Yeah, legitimately. So I think this is very clear to me. And this is a huge theory, but you can chalk this one down in the X-ray Oracle because I think we're going to be right about this one. Okay. Okay. Why would a Sakarian ship appear like that in front? It's not for Why, Jennifer. Rosie? Why? Why? So in the comics... Those good old Marvel comic books that we love so much. <laughs> While Hulk was on Sakaar, the planet we saw him on in the fighting arenas in Thor Ragnarok. In the comics, he was there during Planet Hulk. And he sired a child that he didn't know about. Right. And after he left the planet, the child was born. The child's name was Scar, S-K-A-A-R. And he was incredibly powerful. He grew very fast. He was actually born in a cocoon and then and became an adult within a couple of years, a teen within a year. And he was very angry at his father. <laughs> I believe if you think of the timeline that we have since the blip, this is at least five or six years since Hulk was on Scar, if not as far as seven or eight, but the timeline's a bit, a bit jiggly. I think that ship is telling Bruce that he has a son on Sakaar uh, and they need him to go back 
because his son is probably fucking shit yeah. up. Come, to, come pick this <laughs> Please kid come up because he's after going crazy. <laughs> and and the big question here is going to be, are they going to do something really funny where Scar is already an adult when he gets there? Or is this going to continue the tradition we've seen with Thor Love and Thunder, with Hawkeye as a character? You know, with Tony, most of the Avengers have kids at this point, the core right. Avengers. This would add Hulk to that. So maybe... In this version, Scar will be a teenager, which would be easy to put him into a Young Avengers or some kind of team. So yeah, the Sakarian ship, I, I would almost guarantee that we will at least get a, a post-season stinger hinting that Bruce has a son. Let me ask you this. Um, the events of Thor Ragnarok were pretty much Planet Hulk. The, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, really incredible Hulk event in many ways set the tone for like who the Hulk is right now in Marvel comics and is just one of the great recent semi-recent Marvel comic. events. That event leads directly into world war Hulk. Does this make in which it's a world war Hulk is the Hulk, the madder than he has ever been ever, ever, ever before comes back to Earth after all the stuff that went down in Sakaar. Uh, he was on Sakaar, by the way, because his supposed friends had exiled him because he was causing too much Sound familiar? I think Sound familiar. you've seen that in Age you've of Ultron. S- you've seen that. And when he comes back, he is so mad that he fights everybody, every hero, and wins. Do you th- does this make a World War Hulk event more or less likely to you? I think it makes it very likely. So... Thor Ragnarok was, in all but name, a Planet Hulk movie. It came out of the events of Hulk being kicked off the planet by people that he trusted. It led to him landing uh, on Sakaar and becoming a famed fighter. And it looks like it will lead to him having a son. Now, Scar was introduced in World War Hulk 5, I believe, issue 5. So I think this is a very reasonable guess. And I just want to shout out, like, World War, I mean, Planet Hulk, that is probably the definitive Hulk story of all time. Aside from yes. like, you know, his origin, but even then people aren't like, oh yeah, don't forget about Rick Jones who ran in front. Like what Planet Hulk is the story. It's one of the very successful Marvel animated movies. And it is just really radical. Rumor has it, the reason that Marvel would not have just been able to make a Planet Hulk movie under that name is that the the deal that they have with Universal right. is they cannot IP, make baby. a- they cannot make a named Hulk movie. So I think if World War Hulk happens, you know, just like this is based on Greg Pak, Carlo Pagugian, and Aaron Lepresti's amazing comic book series, I think we would see, we could see World War Hulk, especially post-She-Hulk, where it looks, first of all, second Hulk, we've got She-Hulk, she exists now. It, we've got, we know from the trailers that Abomination is going to be in this show, who's he's already in, he's or, he's already in Shang Chi, but we know from the trailers he's going to be part of this show. So we're already introducing what we would call the Hulk family. So the yeah. question is, if Scar really is there and he's rebuilding Sakar like he is in the comics, and he's pissed at his dad, or or maybe he wants to come and and hunt down his dad or whatever, we could end up in a situation where then we would have four Hulk adjacent characters, and you know. I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. She-Hulk seems like a place where you could introduce 
more folks or reintroduce them. You know, having Tim Roth come back from that first Incredible Hulk movie, which many people forget is like, that's the phase one of the MCU. That makes it seem to me like they're not afraid to go back to that space that wasn't necessarily as loved at the time that it came out against Iron Man. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, I'd like to see Liv Tyler come back maybe as a red She-Hulk. You know, that's a really massive part of of this kind of Hulk family, the Incredible Hulk's arc. She's the antagonist and you have all these different Hulks. So I think a version of World War Hulk, I don't know if our Bruce Banner would be the one to incite it because he is very much in a great headspace, but maybe Scar is the one and then Bruce has to bring in these other Hulks to help. I love I love the idea that World War Hulk would be Scar being super pissed, like Daddy, where the fuck have you been? Okay. <laughs> exactly. So uh, 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 Jen hulks out, and when she wakes up, it's dark, and she's somewhere by the side of the highway. She goes to a nearby bar where some really wonderful ladies are like, "What happened? Let, how? Don't let him treat you like this." And they give her some uh, fresh coat of makeup and a little. Uh, tease up with the hair and they give her some new shoes and Jenna's like you ladies are great but I'm fine I just need to call my cousin Bruce she steps outside uh, to make a call and of course some meatheads step up to her and it's like that uh, you know bar scene in Terminator 2 she hulks out and she just fucking crash test dummies these fucking dudes when she wakes up again she's in a nice uh, wonderful wood paneled bedroom which we we find out is in a beachside cabin. Wonderful spread. Uh, there's Ultron's original uh, uh, Stark tech helmet there as decoration. This, we find out, is Bruce's secret lab somewhere on the coast of Mexico. Uh, and, of course, Bruce has done a lot of hiding <laughs> out in Mexico and Latin America in general uh, since the days of Marvel's The Incredible Hulk. Uh, and he's really done a lot of great stuff with this spot. Jen finds Bruce in smart Hulk form down in his lab, which is like a combination of like Stark lab meets the danger room from the X-Men. Tony uh, built the lab uh, with his own funds. And uh, apparently, and here is one of those wonderful nods to various conversations fans have been having over the years, has always threatened to like seize it back from Bruce. <laughs> Tony, a billionaire, if not trillionaire, and just a famously cheap individual, no matter how rich he was. Dude, I love this as well, because like it leans <laughs> so much into that, you know, the conversation that that famously broke my brain during Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which was the notion that um, nobody was getting paid and that Falcon wasn't only not getting paid by Tony, but he also wasn't getting paid by the government for all the yeah. black ops missions he was doing. So I kind of love this idea that Tony like kept people sweet by just like building them something nice or giving them like a suit, but he wouldn't give them like a salary. And also if he was pissed off, he'd be like, eh, I don't know if you're going to get it back. I will say that the lab is, it's probably the best version of all that stuff because oh, absolutely. You know, powered, powered by arc reactor tech, like free electricity. It's high tech, completely and, powered. It's not like, on Tony's various properties, mm-hmm. you know, you don't or his, live like, weird with compounds. Tony. Yeah, his weird compound where you have to wonder if you're going to see Tony like mm-hmm. in his fucking bathrobe, wandering around. <laughs> catch him and pa- like him yeah. and Pepper Potts. Like, yeah. no, please. Yeah, this is like this is Bruce's own spot, which is which is awesome. I will say, like, 
this is another thing. Like we talk a lot about this notion of the fans and the conversations they're having, the way this show is very much made by fans. I mean, Zig worked on this show, our fellow lovely co-host and general great person. And like, this is in conversation with the fans. Something that I love about this is like, it's, it is really funny, but those things that you mention, this actually tells us so much about Bruce yeah. and Tony's relationship. One of the most popular MCU ships, but like, it tells us so much like this was a space that Tony made for Bruce so Bruce could live a good life. Whether he needed I, to hide, whether he needed to work out how to become Professor Hulk. This was yeah. actually a rare selfless thing that Tony did. It wasn't I mean, Tony, really done for the Avengers. It was done for his friend. And not only that, they spent time together there. Tony, a notably arrogant guy. And one of the really wonderful things about the Bruce and Tony relationship is like they... This was a person who Tony felt was on his intellectual level. And that was a really big deal to Tony. There are not a lot of people in the MCU who Tony could just like cut loose scientifically with. And Bruce was absolutely one of them. And in fact, Bruce's work on Gamma is is some is one of those rare things that is beyond Tony's Mm -hmm. actual scope. Back to our story. Bruce lets Jen know that he spoke to uh, her parents They know that she is safe. And we find out from Bruce that this is where he spent the post blip years, uh, you know, working to kind of knit together his personality with the Hulk's personality and the Hulk's physical form. Uh, And this is where Bruce says, yeah, that spaceship, that was uh, uh, Sakaar. That was from the the planet Sakaar there. He says, quote, probably trying to deliver a message. Yeah, you think? Yeah, we think. Yeah. but first, of course, before Bruce unpacks whatever is going on with the car, we got to figure out what's going on with Jen. So what's happening with Jen is, like Bruce, she has unique genetics, which allows her to synthesize gamma radiation instead of, you know, like dying like everyone else would. Jen's blood is, in fact, quite useful. Bruce, Bruce, and this is very, very quietly a big deal. Bruce says that he used Jen's blood to fully heal his injured arm, which is why he can be Smart Hulk again. This feels like it's going to come back time mm-hmm. and time and time again as the, as the years roll by in the MCU. There's going to be more about this. It, it has to be, especially because they play it really casual. So he says yeah. it like it's this big moment. And then she's like, so that means I'm better than you. Yeah, I bet. My blood is better, better than yeah. yours. But, but it, it feels huge. Because this is something that without Jen becoming She-Hulk, Bruce would never have been able to do. He doesn't need to use the the thing to control himself. He's back being Professor Hulk, something that we hadn't seen, or, or as they call him in the MCU, Smart Hulk. It, I agree. It's it's big. It's, it's big, 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 folks. Um, Bruce, then, uh, he's talking about the blood, and we see the vials of Jen's blood uh, in this holding uh, this holding device, and Bruce uses lasers to destroy all the blood samples. He says he cannot risk this blood getting out of the world, creating more problems, potentially more gamma-powered folks like Emil Blonsky and, of course, Sam Stearns, a.k.a. the leader, who we have not seen since the end of the Incredible Hulk movie. And, and Rosie, I think feels, we both agree. Feels like we could see him. It feels, it's feeling like the way Bruce just ostentatiously destroyed all the blood lets you know that blood is going to get out. 
absolutely. Not only he not only is a bad way get... too. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. This is some like real Jurassic Park logic here because I've been watching Harlequin. <laughs> they have a great bit about Jurassic Park, and I fucking love Jurassic Park. But I'm like, he's. I feel like he smashed that stuff so recklessly. I'm like, a mosquito could have drunk some of that that got spilled out, going and biting some people and turning them into hulks. Like, it's too reckless for it's too it reckless. to not become a problem. And of course, the leader, uh, we've been waiting since the end of the Incredible Hulk movie to find out what's going on with Sam Stearns, who had uh, gamma irradiated blood drip on his forehead, causing his brain to swell to Hulk-like sizes, creating the super brilliant supervillain, the leader. And of course, we have not heard from him since. We'll see if that continues. Um Jen is like, okay, we talked about my blood. We've talked about what's going on with me. Just fix me so I can leave. Give me the inhibitor device that you have or whatever, and let me get out of here. Bruce is like, listen, you you don't get it. I've been dealing with this for literally years, for over a decade of meditation, of various drugs, of, you know, psychotherapy, just trying to deal with the fact that I'm a Hulk, you're a Hulk now, and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to take this seriously. So over some pancakes, Bruce preaches the gospel of isolation and self-control. That means no more stressful stuff like being a lawyer. That means hang out with me in the jungle for several years, meditate all the time, maybe you know, the, like get slapped by a jujitsu master <laughs> like I had to do down in Brazil, maybe doing uh, breathing exercises as you're getting slapped in the face by this jujitsu master. Jen is like, that fucking sucks. I don't want to do that. Uh, and then Bruce is like, oh, yeah, what? Look at this. And he slaps a huge binder of Hulk teachings on the table. And she's like, well, how long is this going to take? And he's like, I don't know. I've crunched the numbers and I'm thinking like 15 years to get your Hulk <laughs> stuff under control. <laughs> Dude. It's just like, no. This what? tells us like, it's actually really smart <laughs> narrative storytelling. Oh, it's so Not good. in the I nature that it's just hilarious and fun, but also like it tells us without expositioning it or having like some deep and meaningful chat. Bruce cares about Jen so much. Like, this is his family. He's out there. He's making binders. He's planning to just, he's like, Avengers, never heard of them. I'm just here with you. Next 15 years, it's happening. (laughs) And the funniest shit is like, Jen just, as we will come to find out, like, is not in that place. It doesn't, it doesn't. Well, it's two things are going on, right? One, she truly is kind of naive to the implications. And two, she is an active human being with a job. She doesn't want to hang out in Mexico <laughs> for the next 15 years. Okay, so uh, they go down to the lab, and in the lab they run some danger room-style exercises involving circular saws to figure out, like, Jen's transformational triggers, and she transforms, and we discover right away, surprise, 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 and very surprising to Bruce, that Jen maintains her personality in Hulk form. No fractured psyches, no alter ego, no voices in the head, no need for this 15-year journey, and Bruce is clearly jealous. He's (laughs) like jelly, jelly. I mean, he's very jelly. It took him, again, like many years to get to the smart, Hulk phase with Jen just skipped to Smart Hulk immediately to to Smart Hulk. No, but, and that's just like the comics, basically. Like just Jen like has comics. had a savage phase, which was her original phase. 
But then by the time she's sensational, she's just casually with it. And so it's, it's very close. And in recent Avengers stories has kind of gone into a return to Savage She-Hulk. But mm-hmm. yeah, for the most part, for the vast majority of her comics history, she's been the personality of Jennifer Walters just in a near seven foot towering physical frame. Okay. So uh, there's still work to do, though. We got to figure out, like, what the transformation is about. Jen, notably, even though she has maintained her personality while in She-Hulk form, she can't go back. She can't, like, uh, consciously transform back into Jen. So how do we do this? And Bruce is like, well, I had various techniques. Uh, One of them was Natasha would sing lullabies to me. Which is honestly so funny. Uh, you know, other times I would just kind of pass out and and uh, Jen is not taking this seriously again. <laughs> uh, but Bruce, you know, he carries this massive burden of being seen as a monster by basically a whole world because he destroyed Harlem, destroyed large portions of Johannesburg and Age of Ultron other things of that nature. And he doesn't want Jen to experience that. And he's very persuasive when he talks about, you know, how traumatized he is by by those events. And so Jen agrees, okay, train me how to be a Hulk. So there's a lot of mindfulness and psychotherapy stuff being presented to Jen, uh, but she's not super ready for that. So they're like, okay, we'll skip this. Let's, we'll do this tomorrow morning. Uh, Bruce sneaks into Jen's bedroom. She is transformed back into Jen. He wakes her up by, uh, by, firing an air horn into her ear. But this is an important discovery as well as being really, really funny when she turns into shield and destroys the bed. We discover that just like Bruce, if you slip into unconsciousness in Hulk form, when you wake up, you're back in human form. So more mindfulness, some Tai Chi. We do some Hulk wardrobe 101 where you learn the importance of stretchy clothing. We throw some boulders. We do some Hulk jumping. We do some balancing. We destroy a couple of cliffs. There's more. Then the uh, the upside, we learn about being a Hulk. Hulks can drink forever, and they never get drunk. They get buzzed, but they never get drunk. So over countless drinks at the bar that Tony and Bruce built together, aw. Hey, they, Bru- even, they even have a little love heart with so a T cute. and a B in it. <laughs> uh, Jen and Bruce uh, blow off a bunch of steam, and they just burp, 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 burp. The next day... We learned that while they don't get drunk, Hulks actually do experience hangovers, at least in human form. Uh, And Jen hung over, kind of annoyed at all the Hulk training. She's thrown the boulder. She's jumped around. We've done all that stuff. She's like, okay, I can go home now, right? I'm going to go. I'm going to leave. Bruce is like, listen, uh, you're not ready. And Jen is like, actually, I'm ready. And Jen is both right and wrong. She's Mm -hmm. still, Mm -hmm. you know, she's right that, you know, just let her leave. But also... Jen, you do need to take seriously the fact that you could level like an entire city block if you wanted to. And from what we saw, much to Bruce's chagrin, you know, she is equally as powerful already as Bruce, if not slightly more powerful. So this is, you really do need to take your responsibility because you are throwing the rocks further. You were Hulk smashing harder. Well, Hulk did throw, they threw, I will say that it seems like they're signaling that Hulk is still strongest because when they throw the rocks but then he was like gets his back up because his cousin is doing better than him and is also immediately 
the smarter Hulk like out of the gate. Uh, and so he throws that one boulder that goes like into fucking space. Like you see oh, it yeah, catch yeah, fire yeah, 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 yeah. and it goes yeah. and it like <laughs> and it goes like to Lots Mars of- and shit. <laughs> yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I would say she's she's encroaching on his strength at a worrying she's, speed for Bruce. She's certainly much more agile mm-hmm. than 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 Bruce is at this particular time. Anyway, through this, they have an argument about being able to control one's anger. And then Jen makes a really great point that, listen, I've been controlling my anger because I'm a woman in the world. I've been doing that my whole life. I've been doing it much more successfully and for longer than you have. And through this conversation, we discover that Jen can now transform at will. So this is a big deal. Jen leaves, insisting that she's not going to be a superhero, which Bruce doesn't quite believe, but he's like, whatever, go with God. Jen (laughs) says, listen, why be a superhero when I can just do my job, which is be a lawyer, which is help people in in, uh, the context of just being a normal everyday person. Uh, Bruce probably fairly points out that it's not healthy for Jen to just deny that she's a Hulk. Uh, They have a a big fight, uh, which ends up destroying the bar, which Jen feels badly about. She helps him fix it. And then the next day she leaves to uh, return to her life as a lawyer. Back to the present. Jen hasn't turned into She-Hulk since those days back in Mexico, months back. Only her family and Nikki shows you how close Nikki is to her, know about Jen's Jolly Green secret. Uh, She says, I was right and Bruce was wrong and I never need to be a Hulk. Okay, uh, show over, right? Rosie, that's it. End of of, of the She-Hulk program and that's it. That's all folks know. Absolutely wrong. In the courtroom, closing arguments are taking place. The case is some kind of corporate thing in which some kind of corporate exec caused multiple deaths. Uh, but before we can really get to the bottom of that, Jen is about to make her closing argument. The supervillain Titania comes blasting through the wall and Nikki's like, Jen, this is it. You gotta, you gotta do it. Give me a slip off the shoes. You don't want to destroy the shoes. Give me your jacket. But now's the time. Transform into She-Hulk. And Jen transforms into She-Hulk and the fight is super brief because Jen is strong as fuck. She punches Titania one time into a wall and into a deep sleep and that's it. Show over, but we go to our stinger, and folks, I'm going to take a small victory lap here. We we know all about X-ray vision is right. This is a, a take I had from before the X-ray vision days, from back in the binge mode days. We go back to the bar in Mexico. Jen, pretending to be drunk, gets Bruce to admit how Steve lost his virginity, and folks, it is the exact way that I said Steve lost his virginity in, in uh, binge mode when we were talking about Captain America, the Winter Soldier. My theory was that, listen, Steve had people throwing it at him, men and women. And when he was on tour in 1943, selling fucking bonds and promoting, uh, uh, promoting the war, it just... It just stands to reason that at some point in time, he got it in. It just would happen because people were coming at him left, right, and center. And at some point, it would have happened. And in the stinger of the first episode of She-Hulk, Bruce admits that Steve lost his Shirley on that very 1943 USO tour. Folks, we called it. And that is why you listen to this program, because you're going to get that kind of analysis from Rosie Knight and yours truly. Folks. She-Hulk, 
that was fun. And I can't wait to talk about this show because you're getting a lot of stuff. There is actually, right? there's not just the connection to our legacy Avengers with Bruce playing a pivotal role in, in the pilot, but it's very clear that this is going to be the kind of show that, that is going to push uh, the MCU lore mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. characters and stuff further. I mean, you already said it. There's going to be more Hulk characters yeah. because of this. That, that blood is getting out there, folks. Mm-hmm. There's no way Jen's blood just stays on the shelf. Yeah, and, and like we said, you know, even if it does, I believe it will probably happen in this season, but if it doesn't, Bruce getting the message from Sakaar, that's, it means Scar. Like, these are the things that we saw. We saw him in Thor Ragnarok in his giant sexy skull layer with, like, his his fans, you know? I agree with you. Something that I kind of, that blows my mind about this, and I can't say it 100% yet because WandaVision exists and that is one of the weirdest deep-cut MCU shows ever with the amount of references they stuffed in. But I will say, from this episode and what I've seen of the show so far, it does feel like it's going to compete with WandaVision for introducing weird, deep-cut, fun Marvel lore. And I actually think it might even get to do more because WandaVision, though it had so many fun references, a lot of it was just references. It didn't make stuff concrete. But even in this episode, we get canon nods to funny fan theories, Steve Rogers. You know, we get cementation of the idea that that Bruce and Tony were actually much closer than we ever knew. I think you're right. It's going to push the boundaries of not only the tone and the humor. I mean, let's be real. Eternals was the first time that we saw people having sex in the MCU outside of an implied sex scene in Iron Man 1. And and that was very serious. And we've never really had people just joking about the adult realities of being a superhero. That is very much in the space of what She-Hulk is doing. And I think that tone and freedom is going to bring a lot of new, funny, weird, deep Moreover, cut stuff to the show. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about potentially the West Coast Avengers coming together, potentially young Avengers who are uh, f- uh, based in Los Angeles for a lot of time, uh, per- potentially come together. And this is a show that takes place in California, in LA, mm-hmm. which we haven't really been back to since the Tony Stark Iron Man movies with Tony's Malibu fucking Barbie Dreamhouse sliding into the ocean. <laughs> we haven't really been back there since then. Like most of Tony's uh, uh, stuff took place on the mm-hmm. East Coast. Of course, the Avengers stuff took place there as well. So this is also an expansion of the kind of like power centers geographically of the MCU, I think we're going to see, obviously, we know Daredevil is, is in this. Uh, we're other heroes. We know that She-Hulk at some point in time is going to defend Blonsky. So this is more superheroes in LA yes. giving us a, a, a further expansion geographically of just places that superheroes hang out. We already know they hang out in New York. They're hanging out in LA too. Yeah, and I would, I'm very interested to see. So this takes very heavily from... We can we can assume the the dance slot, yep. Arc, especially because some some preview images and trailers have shown a different law firm or a law firm that Jen is going to work at, um, G L K and H, which is yeah. from the dance slot stuff, which is the more superhero style law. It also takes very heavily from the Charles Saul Javier Polito run, which is really fun. 
in is that really, really 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 fun i that's like my favorite it's, it's so good it's so I re- i've good. been reading it's both really of them good. the dan slot one has so much great legal stuff it's it's very of its time so there's like good bits and bad bits but the soul stuff there is a sequence that i'm so interested to see if they bring in re daredevil right daredevil he's hell's kitchen's guy but in the charles oh, soul Daredevil. Should we I mean, even talk Charles about it? I mean, whether, now I'm like wondering if that's if the case that they try is the case because oh, now yeah, no, no, I, no, if no. it is, worry, we shouldn't worry. talk about get, it. No, no, I'm not going to get uh, the okay. case is too much, okay. so I'm not going to get into uh, yeah, 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 okay, that. There, right, is, yeah. there okay. is a moment. <laughs> this is a tone theory, though. It's I will say theory, now yeah. that we've mentioned that case, if it happens, we're saying we're right. If it is that case, not that that's a crazy prediction. It's literally in the comics, but still, yeah. But yeah, no, no. There's one moment. In that version, um, Jen goes to ask Matt Murdock for help, but Matt is living in San Francisco and they sit on the top of the San Francisco bridge. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. And it's cool. so fun. And I kind of wonder if we're even going to get that. Like, it's a little bit more outside of LA. It's just this expansion of that idea of the West Coast and what that looks like in the MCU outside of Tony's Malibu Dreamhouse. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. And I, I, lo- I also think you mentioned West Coast Avengers. You mentioned these things. Those stories have often been the more wacky stories, the most out there ideas, the kind of silly stuff. So I think that you're really on point there, especially as this is a nine episode series. So a little bit longer than what we've been getting recently. And we know it's going to be a courtroom drama. And we've already seen from the trailer that it's going to include wild deep cut Marvel characters. So it feels like this could also be a place to potentially introduce some other heroes that might be connected to that, even if not in the long term, in more of a way to just kind of establish that the West Coast has also had heroes this I whole time. Wait. Well, I can't wait to talk about it more as the uh, as the show airs. That's it for our show. A big thank you to Rosie Knight. Rosie, what do you have to plug? Plug, 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 plug. Um, I will have lots of cool She-Hulk pieces coming out over the next few weeks. I will be talking about She-Hulk with the creators. I will be doing explainers all that kind of stuff that will be at Nerdist uh, I will also be having some cool stuff coming out other spots IGN Den of Geek all that kind of stuff for a bunch of different shows we're about to get into the wildest TV season that we've seen in oh a long time it's, so it's, you're gonna you're gonna daunting. be able to come to us and if you need extra stuff you're gonna have Jason on House of the Dragon you're gonna have me writing about House of the Dragon Lord of the Rings all that stuff so that's really cool you can find me on Rosie Marks M-A-R-X uh, on Instagram and Letterbox, and then obviously here on X-Ray Vision. X-Ray Vision has a new home, folks. The Take Line YouTube channel and Twitter channels are now dedicated to all things X-Ray Vision, so go check out at XRVPod on Twitter and X-Ray Vision on YouTube. Plus, we have a Discord, the X-Ray Vision Discord. You can find the link to that in the show notes, and if the link for some reason doesn't work because we're such Discord noobs, then just DM us or something and we'll we'll make sure you, you get sorted out. Catch the next episode on August 26th for more She-Hulk Plus, the House of the Dragon premiere. Oh, shit. And remember to send your House of the Dragon questions for Ask the Maester to askthemaester at gmail.com. Askthemaester at gmail.com. Five-star reviews. We want your five-star ratings on your platform of choice. Give us those five-star reviews. And if you email us the text of your review and it's funny... We will read it on the air. We will read it right here at the end of the show. Folks, see you next time. Bye. 
X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. See you next time. Bye-bye. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com.